Our learning objective is to describe the sources of risk and the most common methods of dealing with each source of risk. When we talk about risk, keep in mind that you can, you can think about two different types of risk, pure risk and speculative risk. Pure risk involves only the chance of loss, uh, but no chance of gain. Or we can think of it as no, no, no loss or no loss. An example of pure risk is uh, my car sitting out in the parking lot is either destroyed by someone running into it or stolen, or it's not destroyed or stolen. There's no chance of gain from my car sitting in the parking lot. So that's pure risk. Uh, pure risk is usually dealt with most effectively through an insurance process. So when people in the insurance industry talk about risk, they are talking about pure risk. And in, in the investment world, we talk about speculative risk. Speculative risk means that there is some chance of gain as well as some chance of loss. And people will voluntarily take on speculative risk as long as they believe the chance and amount of gain are sufficient to compensate them for taking on the risk of the chance of loss. Now, let's look at some specific types of risk that we associate with the investment process. One of the most basic types of risk is what we call purchasing power risk. Now, purchasing power risk alludes to the loss of the purchasing power of our investment assets future cash flow. So that when you get your return, those dollars may not buy as much in goods in terms of goods and services as they do currently. And to understand uh, the impact of purchasing power risk, you have to think about three different rates. What we call the real rate, what we call the nominal rate, and the inflation rate. The nominal rate is the rate that you actually observe or you, you, that you, you can compute as uh, what you earn on, on your dollars. And uh, when we were computing uh, rates of return, holding period return, geometric mean return, those were nominal rates. The inflation rate, of course, is a number that represents the loss of purchasing power in, our, in, in, in the dollars. Then the real rate is the rate that you, of return that you earn after compensating for the loss of purchasing power. So it's, it's the gain in purchasing power uh, that you achieve as a result of that investment. These three rates are related in that one plus the real rate is equal to one plus the nominal rate divided by 1 plus the inflation rate. In a problem situation, we have one equation and three variables. And so, uh, in a problem, you would be given any two of these numbers and asked to solve for the third. Sometimes students say, why is the 1 in there? What, why, uh, what does that represent? Well, the easiest way to think about it is since these are rates of return, 
they apply to the principle. And so the one represents, in effect, your principle that is invested, and then you have a real rate, a nominal rate, and an inflation rate associated with the principle. So that's why we have the one in there. Now, there is a shortcut formula that is frequently used. And the shortcut formula is that the real rate is approximately equal to the nominal rate minus the inflation rate. When these numbers are low, for example, if the nominal rate's 4% and the inflation rate is 3%, uh, this approximation equation works pretty well. And given uh, that in today's environment we have very low nominal inflation rates, this would be a very good approximation formula. But when you get into uh, a, a period in which the nominal, nominal rates and inflation rates become very large, for example, uh, what we had back in the late 70s and early 80s, or if you were in a country that gets into uh, an era of hyperinflation, for example, inflation rates of 60, 80, or 100 percent, then the approximation formula becomes an abysmal uh, approximation of the calculation. On a test situation, you should look to see if the question is looking for the exact uh, computation, for example, the exact real rate of return, or if it's looking for an approximation. You should always start on the assumption that it is looking for the exact real rate of return. A, another type of risk is what we refer to as interest rate risk. Now, interest rate risk simply defined means the risk associated with changes in interest rates. I know that definition seems a little redundant, but it's redundant for a reason. And the reason is that there are two components to interest rate risk. The two components are price risk and reinvestment rate risk. A lot of people erroneously use the terms price risk and interest rate risk interchangeably. Common error, it's wrong. Price risk is the risk of prices changing because of changes in interest rates. On bonds, we know that when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. When interest rates go down, bond prices go up. And so in price risk, uh, when interest rates go down, that's good news. And when interest rates go up, that's bad news for the bond investor. Reinvestment rate risk refers to the fact that when you are holding a portfolio, particularly a portfolio of bonds, you would expect uh, to receive coupon or interest payments over time. And as you receive those coupon or interest payments, you would then reinvest them. And so your effective rate of return on your portfolio will depend upon the rate of return at which you're able to reinvest those coupon or interest payments. So in reinvestment rate risk, when interest rates go up, that's good news because you can reinvest your coupon payments or your interest payments 
at a higher rate of return than you previously thought. And when interest rates go down, that's bad news. For example, uh, a lot of people who have retired today and hold bond portfolios um, and are planning to live off the interest income on the bond portfolios and reinvesting that interest income are finding that today's low level of interest rates are an absolute killer in terms of their expected returns on their portfolios. So keep in mind that when interest rates change, it has opposite effects through price risk and reinvestment rate risk. So interest rate, when interest rates go up, that's, that's bad news for price risk, good news for reinvestment rate risk. And when interest rates go down, good news for price risk, bad news for reinvestment rate risk. And that's why we define interest rate risk as risk associated with changes in interest rates because there are two significant components to it. The next category of risk is what we refer to as market risk. Market risk is the degree to which an asset's returns are affected by events that affect the entire market. We, we give market risk the name of systematic risk, uh, which is based on the word system. So it's, it's events that are affecting the entire system. Now the problem with market risk is you can't really get away from it. Normally you think the solution to most types of risk is diversification. But in the case of market risk, if it's risk that is affecting all of the securities, whether you hold a portfolio of five stocks or 50 stocks, you're going to be hurt from the events which affect everything. So unfortunately, market risk is non-diversifiable. And the implication is that people would have to be rewarded for taking on market risk. Market risk contrasts with business risk. Business risk is unique for each enterprise. We sometimes refer to as business risk as non-systematic risk. Not a very elegant name, but it's a nice contrast with the previous systematic risk. So when we look at securities, we think of the total risk in a security as being composed of market or systematic risk and business or non-systematic risk. The nice thing about business risk is it can be reduced or nearly eliminated through diversification. So a 50 security portfolio will contain substantially less business risk than a five security portfolio. Two other types of risk include political risk and sovereign risk. Political risk is risk associated with trade disputes, wars, tariffs, expropriation. In other words, governments doing all sorts of nasty things that will be a disaster for one's investments if you are buying securities uh, in a foreign country. Sovereign risk is a separate type of risk in that it is the risk of foreign government defaulting. I know it's difficult to conceive of governments defaulting, but it has happened. 
Uh, when the Soviets took over Russia, they defaulted on bonds that had been issued by the Tsarist government. When Castro took over in Cuba, he defaulted on governments, on, on bonds issued by the Cuban government. And with the crisis going on in Greece today, uh, there is concern that uh, the Greek government may end up defaulting on their bonds. So those are examples of sovereign risk. Tax risk is another concern. Tax risk you can think of as a risk of a change in one's marginal tax rate, the change in one's tax bracket, that is even if your tax rates don't change but your income level changes, you may find that you are in a different tax bracket and therefore your marginal tax rate has changed. And the third is whether or not something is taxable income. So some income that is taxable may now become taxed at a higher rate. An example is we currently have discussions about raising the capital gains tax rate. But another possibility associated with tax, uh, tax risk is that income that you think is not taxable may become taxable later. For example, it used to be that uh, when you drew Social Security retirement benefits, that the retirement benefits were completely tax-free. Then some time ago, uh, in its search for new revenue, Congress decided to uh, impose income uh, qualifications on that. And now if your other income is high enough, some of your Social Security benefits will in fact be taxable. Another possibility is that Roth IRAs today are advertised as providing tax-free distributions under certain conditions. And that all sounds nice and wonderful, but you have to wonder if sometime down the road, as Congress is looking for new sources of revenue, that they might decide also to impose income qualifications on that and that if you have too much income, some of your Roth income may in fact uh, become taxable. Let's consider some true-false questions. If the nominal rate of return is 12% and the inflation rate is 7%, your real rate of return is 5%. This, of course, is false. And the reason that it is false is that we know that if you're looking at the approximation, 12 minus 7 would be 5%, but in terms of uh, the actual real rate of return, 1 plus the real rate would be equal to 1 plus the uh, nominal rate, which is 12%, divided by 1 plus the uh, inflation rate of 7%. And so when you do the division and you subtract 1 from both sides, you'll find that the real rate of return is actually less than 5%. The next question is interest rate risk is prices changing because interest rates are changing. That of course is false. Prices changing is price risk Interest rate risk is both price risk and reinvestment rate risk. 
Next, political risk is different from sovereign risk. That, of course, is true.